listening to the On the NBA Beat Podcast, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories. Portland has three timeouts left. The Lakers have two. Bryant. To shot! LeBron James with no regard for human life! Jordan. Oh! A spectacular move by Michael Jordan! And now, your hosts. Lauren Lee Chen, and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fishman. This is Aaron Fishman. On the doorstep of the brand new NBA season, we have an Eastern Conference preview for you today with the one and only Kelly Dwyer. Kelly is an internet basketball writing pioneer, writing in a creative, hilarious, and sometimes sarcastic tone, unlike anyone you've ever read. While he's written for various outlets over the years, Younger listeners may be most likely to have seen his work on Yahoo's Ball Don't Lie blog, where he spun tales for nearly a decade, from 2009 through 2017. Kelly now runs The Second Arrangement, an independent project to which you can subscribe for as low as $5 per month. Before we hear from our gracious guest, a few interesting notes on the man. When Michael Jordan was an NBA rookie and Kelly was four years old, His aunt got MJ to sign a Valentine's Day card for him. Kelly lost it three years later. To make up for that void left in his soul, as an eight-year-old, he knocked on Dave Corzine's parents' front door to ask the Bulls center for an interview. Without further ado, let's get to Kelly and that Eastern Conference. Hey Kelly, thanks for joining us to talk about the Eastern Conference today. How's your offseason been? Uh, what off season? <laughs> Last I heard, this thing didn't stop. Yep, basketball never stops. We're on the eve of a new NBA season after a tumultuous off season. I think the biggest news for the Eastern Conference was LeBron James finally releasing his stranglehold on the East after eight straight finals. What do you think of the overall conference outlook? With James leaving, who do you think are the main teams stepping up to fill that void left by him? It doesn't it doesn't feel as fun as it did when he left before or when or when he went down to Miami, we thought it'd take like a year. Doesn't feel as fun as when MJ left. It doesn't feel like a Toronto and Boston and Philly are three really fun teams, but it, it doesn't feel like the escaping void is going to be filled, uh, uh, you know, by someone who deserves it. It still kind of feels like things are tilted and that it's kind of still a minor league thing. But I got both Toronto and Boston down for over sixty wins. I think I think Toronto's is going to have a lot of fun this year. I think they got a lot of good transitional sort of modern basketball things going for them. And Boston is just so stacked. They're just there's so many good players on that team right now. And then you you know I'm working on previews these days, and you can disappear in your thoughts for 30 minutes about some of the lineups they can run in Boston, and you just forget that they have like Kyrie Irving at the bottom there, and and Al Horford up top. It's just an in, it's an incredible team, and I don't I, I got to work myself toward this year, like you know, telling myself that these teams are, are like you know championship caliber, that they're the real deal, that they're not just sort of this team that's going to win this year because someone has to for the first time since 
what has it been 20,000 years since LeBron didn't go to the finals? So, you know, I I thought I'd be more excited about these amazing teams, but it's, it's going to take a while. It's going to be, it's going to take watching LeBron trip a couple of times out in LA. We'll definitely delve into more detail about the Celtics and Raptors in a little bit, but just briefly, as far as the tiers of teams behind that top group, um, how do you see that shaking out? I, you know, I don't mind those as much. I think we're going to get kind of sick of Boston after a while. <clears throat> Philly's running up against it, but you know, Miami not may not be that fun to watch, but they're going to be, you know, they're going to be there. And Milwaukee is going to. We're going to see things in Milwaukee that we've seen before with other teams and other MVPs, and that's going to remind it of of, of of things that we liked and advancements we liked and evolutions we enjoyed. So. They'll be okay, but I don't. I, I don't have any of those teams rushing towards fifty wins. I, I still think it's a it's a pretty righteous drop off. And uh, you know who, like Washington and Brooklyn. Brooklyn, we don't know who's on the team, but we just know they can win anywhere between like thirty eight and forty eight games just because they hustle. And with Washington, like John Wall's NBA.com photo looks the same as his Team USA photo, so that's <laughs> scary as heck. They could be, they could be anywhere. It's, it's still a bummer to be in the East. You gotta, I don't, you gotta push Orlando and Atlanta up just to, you know, pretend that they're not going to be all time bad. It's, it's a really terrible conference this season, and there's going to be a lot of bad basketball. Seven thirty this year. Yeah, returning to talking about the Celtics, I think a lot of people consider them the team to beat in the Eastern Conference, especially as you mentioned, you consider all the versatility and lineups that they can throw out there. Do you see them as on par with uh, some of the non-Golden State teams in the West uh, in terms of talent? Oh, yeah. Goodness. Goodness. Yes. I mean, I put it, let's, let's see if I mean, I hate giving this guy Dap before he's even coached this team for a full regular season game, depending on when this is released. But, you know, Brad Stevens could still unfortunately have this crew as, as larger than the sum of its parts. He could still work some magic with this stuff, just looking at So I, I put them on par with Golden State. I don't think they're going to win 100 games in a row like Golden State will do when DeMarcus comes back. But I, I, I think just there's so many arms on this monster that, that – that this could be something that lasts for a while that really eases Kyrie into his, his drop off years. Uh, uh, no, Boston, Boston is there. In your first answer, you spoke really highly of the Toronto Raptors. And of course they made those two huge changes after seven seasons, leading the team, Dwayne Casey's out and he's replaced with Nick nurse. And for continuity purposes, Nick Nurse has been there a while, since 2013, as a Raptors assistant, specializing in their offensive attack. And, of course, they famously added Kawhi Leonard, who may be a one-year rental, but is extremely good on both sides of the ball. How do you see them navigating those two huge changes? I mean, for one, Nick Nurse was born in 1967, which means he's got the weird sort of could be Ted Cruz, could be Gwen Stefani or Billy Corgan thing going on. I guess Billy Corgan <laughs> would be right in the middle of those two people. But he's been around for longer than we we know about. He's 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 grown with these guys and he knows their limitations. And, and we hope he's got the same, you know, fiber fear about Kyrie or excuse me, Kyle Lowry that, that we do that, that, you know, there may not be. 
much more on this Villanova. So, uh, yeah, I think they're going to go, you know, ape crazy this year. I think they're going to have a really fun time. I think they're going to be the darling of so many different types of media. I think Kabai at some point is going to come out with his big feature with whatever group it is that, you know, talks about what a wonderful player is and paints the Spurs in an unfortunate light. And maybe some of that will be deserved. I think, I think it's going to be a really fun year to be in Toronto. I think it's just going to be, I hope, because everyone up there deserves it. But I, I think it's going to be a lot of good vibes and really good basketball. Are there particular challenges that you can pinpoint them potentially running into? It's to me, it's Leonard down the stretch of games. He's got to be this sort of slashy, quick post up, quick hit uh, scorer and passer that they can count on. And I'm, I, I'm not, I, I'd say this irrespective of whatever troubles they may have had down the stretch of games uh, in 2017, 18. I think Leonard has to be more of a. He can't be a can't let the game come to him. Look at me, how sensible and savvy I am, guy. He's got to be, you know. There's got to be a whole bunch of Kyle, Kyle Leonard's looking to score this year. Stories happening. He's got to, he's got to be the guy that 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 turns them over. And and I, you know, this coaching staff's been preparing for this since June. So I think they're going to be on top of it. Yeah, we'll see what happens. It's exciting in Canada. So the Philadelphia 76ers, there's a lot of continuity. And people who are paying attention expected them to be good last year. But I, I don't think a lot of people expected them to to jump on the scene so quickly, maybe, with 52 wins right off the bat, with Ben Simmons finally playing as a rookie. Um, and now that they've arrived, there's going to be so much pressure on them like Boston, in, in a different way, but I think they're going to be facing a ton of pressure this season. To what extent is feeling all of that pressure a good problem to have when you look at all the other teams in the East where there's more legitimate question marks? It's good because they're front runners. They have to beat teams by 18 to beat them by 12. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. That means you're good. That means these minutes are piling up and you're taking care of business. And they got probably the best first quarter player in the league and that wonderful center there, Mr. Embiid. But they don't, you know, I'm not going to say they don't have killer instinct because that'd be stupid. But they don't have a lot of experience at having to go to Ben Simmons down the stretch and getting a bucket or Embiid getting a bucket. Um, And I think there's going to be some bounce back this year because they were pretty crazy healthy last year. Um, but that, listen, that's a wonderful team. And, and like you said, everyone was expecting them to make a jump. It's just, we didn't think they'd pile up the minutes needed to make a 52 win jump because we didn't think anyone would be around. And I know Fultz has gone last year and that Joel broke his face down the stretch and they kept winning, but uh, you know, they have to stay healthy again this year. And I, I hope that's the case, but again, a lot has to go right in Philly for them just to do what they did last year. Yeah, they had that also bizarre thing with with Jerry Coangelo too, or Brian Coangelo. Excuse Brian, me. Brian, I mean, j- listen, yeah. I don't want to put anything past Jerry. There could be some calendars for <laughs> may have been in nineteen eighty two that we don't know anything <laughs> about. This guy's been involved in some movements from Goldwater to Nixon to whatever you want to call the Cheney stuff in the eighties. That private stuff. That's you know, that's for time and some other journalist to find out. I like that topical Supreme Court reference. Well, Cra- you know, crazy it hearing. Second, it'll change. It, 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 it'll, it, it'll change down here if you, if you just, you know, they're, they're dropping like flies. <laughs> so you did allude to this before we started recording. And then early in the conversation, 
the East is just not nearly what the West is. It's been like that for the better part of the last decade, and it seems to be getting worse. All the stars are, are basically now out West. And there's this cool stat I, I found when I was researching. Over the last five years, besides LeBron James, there have only been two Eastern Conference players to finish in the top five in MVP voting. One of those was Joakim Noah five years ago. He finished fourth. And Isaiah Thomas a couple seasons ago, his last year with the Celtics. Other than that, no other Eastern Conference player has been in the top five. Giannis almost did last season. Russell Westbrook barely edged him for that. But it's a long way of me asking you, just what are the chances that an Eastern Conference guy wins league MVP this this year, finally? Oh, MVP? Well, I mean, that's that's partially a... Ne- well, now, especially the NBA's taken over it. It's such a narrative-driven, uh, you know, award that I guess, I mean, people were talking about Kyrie this time last year, not this time last year, but, you know, if he gets some off-the-court help and basically wins a bunch of games in a row on a road trip in March, you know, he's got to be in the discussion. And, you know, Hayward's got enough all around. I Hayward's a bit much, but, uh, yeah, anyone can still win it. Giannis already has the movement behind him. We were all rooting him for, for him in the first couple of weeks of last year to win it. So, yeah, there's a there's a chance they can win the MVP. It's just I'd also like to see more than three competent general managers slash ownership groups running NBA teams at a time in this conference. More than you know who gets an award on a on a TNT show that I don't watch. Yeah, it's kind of a, a very specific question to ask of you. And lots of guys have impeccable seasons and and just don't go go away with the hardware narrative as you pinpointed is is so important in it i think a lot of people or maybe i'm just speaking of basketball twitter really want Giannis to win he's only 24 so difficult to believe and he's just getting better every single season but you'd have to think that he'd have to take the bucks to heights they haven't reached they've been disappointing in recent years and we'll get to that soon it um, might but, also be outward yeah. stuff with, you know, we might treat, you know, 50 wins for the Bucks as as 48 wins somewhere else. So, But mm-hmm. there might be more straight-up MVP candidates in the East than in the West because everyone on the West is on a team with another good guy. So, you know, you yeah, have a lot true. of singular talent in the East that's going to have all the usage in the world. I mean, geez, imagine if, if Jimmy Butler to Miami did happen, how he'd go off for a year. You know, surgery? I don't need surgery. I'm going to drop 30 a game in, in Florida. You know, yeah, there's 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 a lot out there because this conference is so terrible. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Just the concentration of, of star talent in the West, it makes it harder to win if you have stars playing alongside you. Poor, Lauren, you, pitiful oh, Chris Paul. <laughs> <laughs> you have to feel for him. It's tough. It's tough. Who would you uh, pinpoint as, I guess, the hardest team to predict in the Eastern Conference going into the season in terms of, I guess, uh, biggest disparity between best-case scenario and worst-case scenario? I mean, everyone likes to pick on the Pacers, but I think they're a pretty orthodox team. I just think they're pretty orthodox, okay, pretty good team. I don't think they're going to drop off anytime soon unless, you know, Tyreek Evans plays zero basketball this year. They're, you know, a wave of injuries hits everyone. It's, is they're so stultifying. And like, you know, the Bucks could look entirely different and they could be at 44 wins again. I, I, it's, you know, the, the, the bulls on, 
they're gonna they might run off another stretch of wins again behind some shooter that we didn't see coming. Uh, but you know, does that mean they're not going to give up 118 points per hundred possessions? I don't know. There's not a lot of high ceiling teams here. I mean, at one point considering this, I was thinking about Washington because they've, you know, they got a lot of guys who have been around together. We haven't seen too much of how the Jeff green slash Dwight Howard thing's going to work. They actually do have a large ceiling on that team, but, uh, no, everyone else is, is just, uh, no, it's a terrible conference. It's no no one's going to surprise this year. We just yeah. want Joel Embiid to be on ice and Boston not to annoy us too much. I, I think that should be our title, Lauren, <laughs> for this. It's a terrible conference. It really is. But, but you should you still listen to the episode. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you have a point there in that, like, I may implicate Jerry Colangelo in a savings and loan scandal later. I don't know. <laughs> Stay tuned. Eastern Conference is terrible. Some. Yeah, sometimes you have years where um, there there are a bunch of teams where you know if this ta- guy takes a, a step forward, they could be really good. But I don't really see a lot of there's no step that, forward. Those, Josh si- si- those situations, yeah, in the East, like yeah. a lot of these Isn't teams Mikhail are. Mikel Bridges going to turn the Hornets around? I mean, Brooklyn is nice; everyone respects them, but they're not like let's go and win 48 wins. Nice. And I had to talk myself into giving Orlando and, and Atlanta over 20 wins. It's, it's a, it's a bad conference. Kevin Love's going to go nuts this year, but he's got nothing on his side. There's just not a lot of high ceiling. I guess the team that people might put in there is the bucks. Um, we spoke about Giannis's development a little bit earlier. People are talking a lot about the possible effect of replacing Jason Kidd and then interim head coach Joe Prunty with Mike Budenholzer and how that's going to affect, you know, especially the Bucks' offense, spacing it out a, a little bit more and how they run their defense. That's going to take a while, though. I mean, that's, uh, you know, respect all the people that are involved with that thing. You know, Budenholzer is not going to have the veteran team that he could just glide into in Atlanta to do that. People are going to have to get past habits. They're going to have to not fall back on instinct when the possession doesn't go right or when some anticipates the right way. They're going to have to keep moving, and that's hard to do because in the NBA, when you get nervous, you don't keep moving. You stop. You try to do it by yourself. You start dribbling. You start pressing. You know, his whole thing is he's trying to get this team to to sort of loosen up, and they're going to be fighting habit and uh, not so much their roster on the way there. And Eric Bledsoe trying to win a million battles all at once. So yeah, I'm 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 rooting for it. I just wonder if it might be something we start to see crack when when spring hits, as as opposed to uh, straight away. But I'm hoping it hits straight away because, again, the Milwaukee's waited too long for this team to get its you know its stuff together. Yeah, and I just realized I misspoke earlier. Giannis is actually 23. He's turning 24 in December. So he gets younger every year. It's weird, but... He was drafted next June. (laughs) Figure that one out. Um, So as we're continuing wading through this conference, um, Detroit is one team that I'm interested in an unhealthy amount, probably, because... I've been following the Clippers for the last couple of decades really closely. So Blake Griffin and what he can do with that team really fascinates me. Finally, he'll have a full season under his belt with the team if he stays there. But um, so they're really they, they've um, invested in him taking on that huge contract of his. Stan Van Gundy is finally out there. How do you perceive their outlook this season? 
it's it's uh, I still think uh, for for you and and most of North America, there's going to be uh, good seats available to, to hop across and 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 take a look at there. You know, Dwayne Casey can can do really well with what he has. He proved that in Minnesota. He proved that early on when he was fighting for his life in Toronto. And he's proven he can get mid-range guys to make it happen. And, you know, God bless him. He must have gotten exactly what he was praying for because this is all just like dribble handoff city. And, uh, you know, if that takes him past 30 wins, God bless him. But that's a, that's a rough roster. That's just such a, you know, that's a, that's a tough time. They got Calderon. I kind of like that happening until he gets injured, but, uh, you know, otherwise it's, it's, I don't, I don't think they're topping 30 wins. And, and this is coming from someone who wants Blake to turn into some sort of Sarunas Marshallonis (laughs) all-star passing guy as his career moves along. Yeah, I mean, as he's gotten less athletic, uh, um, I mean, he's always been a good passer, but but people tend you tend to pay more attention to his other a- aspects of his skill set. They do have some talent there. Are, are you also just concerned with the fit alongside Andre Drummond too, and just floor spacing all that? It, honestly, it's just Reggie Jackson. Uh, n- no disrespect to him, it's just. You know, injuries pile up and you get scar tissue in, you know, it's not his fault. He's getting dinged, but at some point it's, it's going to take him a step and a half back. And then when that happens, what they run Ish Smith for run a million pick and rolls, a hundred possessions a game. Uh, You know, it's, it's him and, and, and Drummond will figure it out there. They, those two have been, you know, have people in their ear about how they're out of place in pro basketball since the start. So I think, I think they'll be fun to watch and I hope some of Andre's passing comes back. Cause I kind of went away down the stretch when Blake showed up. But then again, mm-hmm. I was there for a couple of those games. It was kind of a depressing run. That said, it's the roster. It's, it's not the guys. It's just, it's the thin, not the, not the, not the, you know, the capability of those who were there. I, I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense. Just personally, from a, my biased perspective, I hope that Griffin makes it back into the playoffs. But it'll be a challenge. I, it's just the the East is wide open, so so we'll see. I'm not counting it out. You did mention how you think Kevin Love is going to go kind of crazy in a good way from a, a scoring perspective. That's what I took from what you were saying earlier. But how far do you expect Cleveland to fall as a team with LeBron obviously being out of town. Oh, I mean, far, 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 far. <laughs> no oh, no playoffs for them? Or, no, or goodness. I mean, okay. how about this? I had the pleasure of speaking with Mr. Love uh, on the phone last week, and he was wonderful and cordial, as always. But I did let it slip that they weren't going to win a bunch of games this year. That they're, They weren't going to win many games. That may have been my quote. And the gentleman didn't correct me. So he laughed and was a good sport about it, but he didn't, he didn't correct me or try to protest. So, um, no, it's, it's, I think it's going to be fun. I think Tyrone Lou is going to have some fun and I think it's going to be spread out and I think it's going to be less distressing on some nights than watching the defenseless bowls, but they're going to be terrible at defenses here. It's interesting what their approach was in the off season. They, they just, they locked in Kevin Love, and they just they kept all their veterans. They, you think that was a mistake not to rebuild when LeBron I mean, left? It's all about the options. And when he left in 2010, they had the options out there to start all over. You know, everyone was kind of waiting for that this year. And Kevin Love's kind of a good guy to have around. 
especially with a cap going up to a trillion dollars. Um, so, I, you know, I, I don't mind it so much this year. And also, you got to remember, these they got a lot of seats sold out there. They got a lot of season ticket people that are, you know, they're going to want some familiar faces and what they think is going to be a competitive team. And in, in a market that wasn't really in their favor this summer, you know, I don't think they did that bad a job. Colin Sexton's going to be fun. And, uh, you know, they're going to give those trillionaire jerks in the front row some you know something to cheer about and uh, lebron to be twice a year or excuse me mm-hmm. once a year oh man, he's <laughs> so smart he's so smart guys <laughs> yeah that's why he did it stay tuned we'll be right back with more show this is mick minnis author of the curse and you're listening to on the nba beat podcast some people will say that the sad I'm about to cite is an example, another one of why the East is such a mess. I think it's a cool underrated storyline that seven of the eight new head coaches are going to be in the Eastern Conference this season. That's nearly half of all the teams in the East are going to have a new head coach this season. Seven of the 15. Is Are there any particular ones whose tasks ahead of them are particularly interesting to you or i don't know challenging oh i mean they're all it, it's all saturation point with the challenges right even if you like the people that are running the show in orlando now you like the people that are running it in uh, atlanta uh it's like and good luck with trey young who i like but you know good luck with that and camp bay is more at 30 shots a game and good luck with mo bamba and dj augustine and uh you know he mentioned seven out of the seven new coaches and and you know scott brooks is still there freddie hoiberg is still there there's a lot yeah. of guys who are still hanging around and not saying they should have been gone or that they're going to be on the hot seat but you know, sometimes the, no one gets fired in a year, and then sometimes everyone just takes a chair to the left. And and this was one of those summers. And uh, you know, it, the math behind it, it yeah, I don't want to get trends. It's just it's been twenty years of 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 the East being terrible, and it starts from the from the top with all these franchises. And and uh, you know, is it, it, is Dwayne Casey in Detroit another example of that? Are they just throwing money at a big name? <clears throat> excuse me, to waste some time while they're, you know, interior analytics staff where they're starting at the bottom, you know, the ground up is taken over. Is that just a splashy thing to, you know, let everyone know that they're not starting over is, is, you know, I, it, it, Budenholzer in Milwaukee is going to be fine. He's going to ship shape things up and they're going to get a real offense and they're, and people are going to take the bus to work knowing what they're doing that night. And that wasn't the case with Jason Kidd. So, you know, sorry for falling back on the big name, but you know, he's, everyone's talking about the bucks for a reason. Role is so important. It's just, I, I, I'm just looking at the names on this bucks roster. All these guys are going to know, what's happening. So, and, and, you know, that's huge. You can't have people, you see it happen in Chicago right now with Hoiberg and Jabari Parker. You got to communicate roles early on. And I'm not saying kid did a terrible job of that. I'm just saying he did a really bad job of that. So yeah, Boonholzer. Yeah. You were mentioning sort of the cyclical nature of these coaching switches. I think uh, uh, two years ago, we had no in-season coach firings, a couple of years before that, it seemed like every single or like half the teams were going through a coaching musical chairs type of situation. Who do you think is the hottest coaching seat right now 
in in the Eastern Conference. I think you mentioned Scotty Brooks and Fred Hoiberg as possible candidates for that. Yeah, but it's I mean they're at their most sympathetic. Where now Scotty Brooks has to deal with Dwight Howard for two guaranteed years, and and Hoiberg has to watch Jabari Parker you know guard a fast break with his shins. It's you know it's not going to be their fault if Washington comes out of the gate with a two and nine record. It's not going to be you know with a team with forty five win or fifty one potential. It's not going to be Hoiberg's fault when Chicago is terrible. So they may get rid of Fred because they don't owe him a ton of money, but they better get the you know Chicago better get the next explaining you know the they're having a tougher time running from that target in that front office up there. Mm-hmm. And you know I, I know that it's coming from the owner's son where these guys are you know they're probably not going anywhere, but. I don't see them dumping Hoiberg so soon when they can point to so many other things or maybe even get rid of Jabari Parker, tell him to go home halfway through the year and then, you know, point to that as, as the latest villain or, you know, retroactively to Rondo and Wade. Uh, I don't see them lashing out at Hoiberg too soon, but then again, that's a poorly run organization. So who knows? One last question before we let you go. It's been really fun talking to you about this conference. A nice side effect you sometimes have when your team, let's just say, isn't as good is that you can give a lot of responsibility and minutes to your young guys. Um, there are a few rookies in the Eastern Conference that people are expecting to have a lot on their shoulders from the start. Who do you think of that group, maybe like Trey Young, Kevin Knox, Mo Bamba, Colin Sexton, is going to have the biggest impact right off the bat? I mean, everyone wants to talk about Trey Young, and I'm one of them because he's fun, and he's going to bank in shots this year where he's not supposed to, and he's going to be so tired that he can't get back on defense sometimes, and he's going to have 10 times the responsibility of Colin Sexton. You know, Mo Bamba's going to not play in some first halves this year if recent experience is to, is to be acknowledged. Uh, uh, Young is going to be an experiment. It's kind of like the lockout year to me when these teams were really awful and struggling to get to 82 points in a game. And I think Young is this sort of, uh, you know, ticket that you can buy into on a lot of nights that are, it's going to keep you entertained. It's going to keep you. Uh, you know, like it was in college last year with him, uh, look, you know, looking up to see highlights when you're at Planet Fitness. It's, it's, he's just that sort of guy. And, and, you know, more than Sexton, I, you know, Knox has been fine in New York, but New York guys are always going to get crazy over someone that was drafted anywhere higher than 54th or, you know, whatever. They didn't trade their draft pits for McDice or someone like that. It's, it's, you know, he's a fine player, but, but Trey Young is the story here. He's a guy that plays basketball different than a lot of other people. And whether that flames out or not, that's that's to me. I, I can't I can't stop watching him. He's unorthodox. Kelly, had a really good time. Thanks for taking the time to speak with us today. No problem, guys. Uh, I, I really hope I didn't paint too dark a picture, but but don't worry. Uh, uh, Central and Mountain and Pacific time get here soon enough. Thank you for listening.